All right, so uh, I want to talk about a new thing. Uh, it's an interesting passage in Isaiah 43:19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I love that promise, don't you? I mean, that is such a great promise for this time. So first of all, we're at the beginning of a new year, and we're all looking for a new thing, but it's amazing. God's promise here, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In other words, I am providing a way, even though there shouldn't be a provision in these weird places, the wasteland or the wilderness, God says, I'm, I'm providing anyway. I'm, I'm making a way for you. So Lord, I just ask that you would do this new thing, New ways for us. Whichever way that we need it, I pray, God, you would do it. And uh, we're just expect that we're just going to examine that and uh, kind of where we're at and where I think what I think the Lord's doing with the world right now. And so I think that in this season, we're like the children of Israel going into the promised land. Um, and uh, I tell you what a transition that was. Uh, right now, the people of God are in this transition. Uh, there's a big change going on across the world. I think the whole world's in a state of change, so I don't have to be particularly prophetic uh, to say that. But at the same time, the whole world's in uh, transition and and change. Uh, The people of God today are in transition. God is doing something with them as well. Now, Israel knew all about transition. Uh, It's been 40 years in transition. That thing should have, that journey from Egypt to where uh, they ended up in the promised land should have taken a few weeks. Instead, it took 40 years, which tells us that transitions can last a long time. But in their case, and this is sort of important for us, they didn't need to do 40 years. Faith would have taken care of them. Faith would have got them over a lot sooner, and that's maybe a good lesson for us today. It's so important that when we're in transitions that we are found in faith, that we're found working with God for His purposes not against God, allowing the enemy to come and delay and string things out. Transition is a scary place. Many times we find ourselves in that place. And when the whole world's in a state of change, it's really scary. And this is the, one of the unique things. Uh, this, this thing that's happened uh, is, more, is, is quite unique. I don't think I have to elaborate much on that. But if you think back even through recent history, just a few decades uh, maybe, uh, I would think you would be hard-pressed to find anything uh, this dramatic with regard to the changes that are going on because of their, uh, the worldwide scope of it and how many different dimensions it's touching. So we're in quite a u- unique time. So it's nice that, um, that in this unique time that God is doing a new thing, that it isn't just us uh, flapping in the wind trying to make it somehow or another and survive this. See, God's got his own plan. Uh, God, even though we're in transition, the world's in transition, he actually just doesn't go on vacation. As a matter of fact, he's right in the middle of it. Now, I'm not saying that God caused COVID-19 or that, but, uh, I'm, but it didn't surprise him. And as we see, like, for example, a famous example with judo, you know, or some martial arts. One of the key to martial arts and fighting is when the enemy, your enemy throws something at you, you go with the punch and then you turn it into something positive. And that's what God does. He's doing that now. Uh, so it's important to kind of know what he's doing while the world's in change. God's people today are also in transition. And at these transition points, God often speaks the loudest and moves us into more blessing, not less. I want to just say that again. At transition points, especially this larger one, I am convinced that God is moving the people of God uh, into a better place, into more, not less, despite the pain. Now, Israel moved in their promised land. When they finally got there, it's amazing what happened. Finally, at the end of that transition, uh, think about what happened. They got their own economy. They had their own government, a legacy for future generations, their own houses, their own land, their own everything after wandering and being a slave nation for all of those years. And so at this transition point, I think we should expect that like Israel, we will enter into a new day. We'll enter into a new prosperity and a new grace. I feel that with all of my heart. That's the portion that I believe we have as believers. Despite the resistance and, and, uh, and pain, we're moving into, a, I believe, a, a place of great blessing. Now, I wouldn't have to say that prophetically. I could do that and say that clearly uh, just by quoting Bible verses that are true about the people of God. 
So I'm connecting it with this transition the whole world seems to be in us, as if so many things have been put on hold and the virus is attacking and all, you know all about it, right? Businesses and plane flights and every kind, industries and all kinds of school issues and, and the whole thing. But listen to this. This is the heritage of God's people, some of my favorite passages. So regardless of whether this transition is going to lead into this great promised land experience, uh, which I believe it is, especially for the people of God, you always benefit, even in times of trouble. These are the promises we have as a church. And to move into those places in times of trouble, all we need to do is believe in the promises of God and step into them and, and claim them for our own and then watch and wait for them and not allow our life to be taken, taken out of the rhythm of the Lord or even into a place of depression or even a place of, of fear so that we can't hear God's voice anymore. I find that my own spiritual life has a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm of obedience and receiving and giving and receiving. And um, so when we get in a place of difficulty and we're transitioning, sometimes that transition point can be kind of rough because there's fear involved sometimes and, and there's newness and sometimes we don't navigate very well just out of maybe a lack of faith. But there are passages for those times. Like, for example, one of my favorites that I quote all the time, no weapon forged against you will prevail. No matter how bad it is, no weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of, of the servant of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Oh, I like that. This is your heritage. This is your rightful ownership of the servants of the Lord. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Now, I don't know about you, but there's feels like a few weapons have been forged against us, you know. Okay, let's just take our health, but then everything that's been connected to that financially and all the other uh, 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 uncomfortableness of, of the atmosphere. But this is a promise that we can claim. So even though uh, I'm going to make a case here for saying that I think at the end of this time, and as we move through it, God is going to be find His people in better shape than ever, the church in better shape than ever, and more powerful than ever. Okay, I'll say that. But for all the little things that we got to go through and all the things that people are going through, these promises work despite a great big pandemic or uh, despite the whole thesis that I'm giving here today that we're moving into a promised land, a, a new season of hope and, and actually power and grace for the church. Here's another one of my favorites that helps me get through difficult times. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Oh, man. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And it says at the end of that, according to his purpose. If you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you entered into the purposes of God. And... And uh, uh, if you just acknowledge just a little bit, you know, just take a step toward God. It's been my experience. He takes 10 toward you. And so all these things we're going through, he always works it together for your good. He has his plan. That's the promise of God. So no matter how bad it is or how out of sorts you are or how difficult or how rough your, your, your life may be right now, God's working. He didn't just go off and uh, say, ah, I'll see you later, you know, Fred or Julie or whoever you are, you know, and I'll see you next week or maybe I'll see you in a month. Or, ah, you know, no, I don't know when I'll show up again, you know, but no, he's always working for us every day because, wow, if God is for us, according to Romans 10, uh, Romans 8, 31, uh, who can be against us? And he is absolutely for you. Oh my, the greatest proof of God being for us is the cross. The cross. That Jesus would die and shed blood for us. The Son of God, born of a Virgin Mary, God takes this painstaking time and to weave this great plan of redemption. And He applies it not just in a large stroke, but for individuals. Every single human being that's born is precious to Him. And when we come to Jesus and we give him our life and he, his blood covers our sin, oh man, God is for us in a way we just can't imagine. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Neither powers nor authorities nor demonic things, sickness, illness, it can't be against us because God's already voting for us, right? Now, to inherit the land, as we're going to say, we could say with this analogy with Israel, there's a couple of things that are essential. And when I think of the promised land for believers, I like to think in terms of um, uh, promises, because I like that word, promised land, and then promises. Things that you want, things that you desire, uh, the marriage of your children, the health of your body, uh, a good job, um, the salvation of an uncle or an aunt or brother or sister or 
what it is that you desire in your heart. Just peace, maybe. Uh, maybe deliverance from alcoholism or something uh, like that. For me, that's all the promised land, right? And, uh, and the more promises you inherit in every area of life, uh, the bigger that promised land is for us. But that's a promise. And so we're talking now about a people who actually were a slave nation and then were in transition for 40 years. Can you imagine? And now they're coming to the edge of the land and they're going to inherit it. They're actually going to finally inherit their own nation, their own place, and transition into their own uh, government, their own, uh, like I said before, their own land, their own finances. But to do this inheritance for them, and I think it's for us, there's two essential things that I just want to underline. First of all, to inherit the land, whatever your land is, and whatever the promises there are in your land, and they're many and varied. But to get every one of those nailed down always takes the same thing. We need to do what God tells you despite the risk. So faith can be spelled R-I-S-K. God really likes faith. Without faith, as a matter of fact, it's impossible to please God. So all through, like for example, Hebrews 11, many of you are familiar with that section of Scripture where he mentions this great cloud of witnesses, this great long list of people and who please God, starting with Abraham how he pleased God uh, because uh, he believed in the promises. So much to the place where even when it looked like there was, it was, his promised land wasn't going to be so promising, the heir, Isaac, was supposed to take over, and then God told him to kill him, which was just an astounding thing. I can't even hardly imagine how anybody would, um, could, come, uh, could survive that or even kind of work through that. But it was risky. He, he took the risk. He took him out to Mount Moriah, and then God stopped him before he killed his son. But God called that faith. Now, it's an exaggerated time, but many things that we're going to inherit, the enemy is trying to resist, or it takes risk. We have to step out on God a little bit and uh, on, on his strength and, and believe. Uh, and just the way the kingdom's put together, and we see that all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the Bible says that about itself. Right? So if you want to inherit promises, most of those promises are going to have a faith price tag. Something that you need to do with your mouth or say, or something you need to do with your actions or both to inherit the promises. And often it involves risk. That's another way, like I said, of, of spelling faith is R-I-S-K. So that goes in the place. So whatever it is that you're looking for in your life, there may be some risk. God may actually have you to do some things that might take a little risk to inherit that. And uh, it always varied according to the issues and the promise involved. The second thing is, this is for sure, God, in most cases, <clears throat> to inherit a promised land or promises in our life, it's going to require us to be strong and courageous. Now, he likes that. He likes that a lot. And you say, well, I don't have any strength. I, I, I am so intimidated, I, I just feel like I'm not strong at all. I'm weak. Well, you can be strong even in your weakness. It just means reacting in a different way than your flesh or that your fear wants you to go. You don't respond to it. And I want to just read this because even though Israel had been wandering around in 40 years, you know, the main reason why they didn't go in is because of fear. They kept failing the test over and over and over again. Fear, fear, fear. Sometimes it was outright rebellion. But many times it was fear, fear that they weren't going to get there, fear that that wasn't going to happen. The tediousness of life sometimes got them. Other times it was just scary people, uh, scary resistance of some, of some kind, or the conditions they were in. So when we get to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua's installed as leader, it's very interesting reading Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I want you to notice something as I go through it. You're going to notice, as you read it, God uh, repeats one phrase over and over again. Be strong and courageous. So in our inheriting a new thing, in transitioning through this new season, that's one thing that we can be assured of. God wants us to be strong and courageous. And I want to read these verses because really it's really highlighted here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, so Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every, foot where you, every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Now, here's a very interesting thing. They went into the promised land, but did you know they're not done yet? 
This promise extends from the river Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean. That covers a huge part of Lebanon all the way to the Euphrates River. Now, if you know anything about your geography, that's an immense amount of land. Then all the way down south into the Sinai, all the way down, uh, way down. So all the way from the desert, all the way up, extending around to Lebanon, across the Euphrates. This land actually hasn't all been inherited. I believe it will. I believe there's scripture for that. That's a whole other subject. So, but they entered. They entered. And they haven't fully, I think, inherited their blessing. I think for them to get the rest of it, it's going to be required for them to be strong and courageous. And you know about the battles that they've had to fight in 1948, 1966, and all the, the, the warfare and the nations surrounding them. If there's one thing to inherit this promise that Israel was supposed to have, it was to be strong and courageous. And God has made a very strong Jewish, strong and courageous people. But that's what he's going to do with you and I. To inherit, the, to inherit the biggest promises of your life, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. You're going to have to learn how to do that. And God will train you for that. I believe the Jews have been trained for centuries how to be in that space. Boy, when they finally got their land, they have been so strong and courageous, even legendary strong and courageous, they finally have learned what it took to inherit and hold the land. And this is the same lesson we all learn. We all learn. And strong and courageous means that you're just uh, you're facing your fears and you're not letting them intimidate you, especially pull you back, especially when action is required. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, then he says it again. Notice this. Be strong and very courageous. I think he's trying to say something here. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan, here, here to go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So um, I, hopefully I got that across because I think it's really uh, 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 obvious in the text. So if we're going to talk about a new thing, and the new thing that God's going to do, presumably be full of promise and blessing then strength and courage are going to be important, even when you feel like you don't have any. And good thing about God is when you take a couple of steps toward Him, He'll help supply you with what you need. You just got to work with Him and ask Him. And if you don't feel courageous, ask Him. Lord, ask Him. Lord, I'm claiming that I don't want a spirit of timidity. Please help me. Help me to remember, Lord, not to be afraid, not to be afraid. So God dried up the Jordan so that Israel crossed in the Promised Land. And it's a very interesting thing. Uh, so many of us are so familiar with the story, I won't read it. But when they got to the Jordan River, God did a miracle. He dried up the Jordan. And uh, so the great thing about this is uh, this story for all of us with regard to our promised land is that you know you're on the trail of a promise uh, as you're moving toward it. And God does little things for you like little signs. And I say little signs. Sometimes they're huge signs like drying up the Jordan River. But I just wanted to put it in, in its context for some of the things we inherit. I'm always looking as I'm moving toward a promise of signs that God's in it, that God's around it, that God's uh, doing something. I've, I've done that my, my entire life. And I have some really funny, hilarious signs that were just so funny. I, I remember when I first entered into the vineyard, it was so crazy. Uh, uh, the Spirit landed on me while I was uh, eating dinner with John Wimber. And... Uh, quite un, un, in an unusual way, not anything I was uh, used to. Matter of fact, I was sitting there at that table trying to leave the vineyard and quit. I'd actually come in there to say, you know, I'm just going to move a different direction, all this. And before we could say anything or talk, the Lord came on me. The Lord came on me. Uh, I, I'd never had anything like that. I'd never experienced anything like that. 
Matter of fact, some of the things I was doing there, I was like complaining about with regard to the vineyard because there were some of these phenomena I didn't understand. And then I was doing it. And then I was absolutely shocked at the table, you know, totally bizarre things. And I ended up under the table shaking and trembling. And by the time I got out from under that uh, uh, table an hour or two later, I, I said, you know, I think I'll stay in the vineyard after all. And I've been there ever since. But I remember when that happened, it was so funny, and uh, I didn't actually mean to tell this story, but it just kind of goes hand in hand with uh, this whole thing, how God will, will work with you and, and help you, you know, as he's doing these things, as you're crossing into a new, new territory. He, he's more than happy to, to give you signs, uh, to give you miracles, to, to help you along. So what he does for Israel is he dries up the, the, the river, right, and lets them cross on dry ground. Well, that's a pretty cool thing because they were about to have to fight and uh, they weren't used to fighting and so God gave them that sign. Well, God still does that with us and I was just telling you about this whole thing that happened to me in, in the vineyard and in John Wimber's office and um, so I left that place and I just didn't know what to think. I was completely overwhelmed. I could feel the presence of God. I couldn't stop shaking and trembling and I didn't want anybody to see me in that shape so I went and I went to my little boy's baseball game. And uh, I didn't want anybody to see me because I was so embarrassed, you know, that this shaking and trembling was happening. And uh, some of I could control and otherwise, and then I just start breaking out again. It was just a powerful move of the Spirit. And frankly, at that time, I just didn't know what to make of it. So in that was great promise, which actually changed the rest of my life. But the funny thing is, I'm looking at this game, and I'm sitting on the side of a hill and looking down at the baseball game. And I wasn't near people at all because I didn't want to be near people. I was so embarrassed because I couldn't stop trembling, you know. And uh, I'm looking at this thing, I'm saying, all right, God, if this is real, if, I, if I'm not having some sort of strange emotional breakdown, if this is real, and if you want me to be in the vineyard, after all, then this is what I'm, I want you to do. I want you to have my little seven-year-old hit a ball so far it leaves the, it leaves the field, it goes over the fence. Well, no little kid could ever do that. It was these little softballs. I never even saw the ball get out of the infield for as young as he was, hardly. And um, so as soon as I said that, oh, and then I said, and then I said, and I want it to be a, uh, I want it to be a grand slam home run. So I remember I'm connecting all this with the signs. So greatly help them as they're going to the promised land to have this, this whole thing dry up, right? And so I'm watching this thing, and as soon as I said it, one little guy gets on to first base. Then the next guy walks. He gets on to second base. The next guy walks. He gets on third. Now remember, I'm looking for a grand slam home. Then it's my son. I mean, even to have him come up, I didn't even know he was going to come up. The fourth kid in, the, in a row there, and I'll be darned, the first pitch comes, and he hits it out of the park. I mean, a grand slam home run. And it was so stunning that the, there was a silence over the whole pe all the parents because nobody had ever seen anything like that from a kid like that. You know, and then all of a sudden they started cheering and everything, and I got, oh my goodness, I'm in big trouble now. I'm in big trouble now. I'm going to the vineyard. I'm going to put my whole life on hold, my ministry on hold. I got to change directions. So that's what God does. And the bigger the change, I tell you, I found He's been so gracious to me so many times. Just give me a little help. <laughs> I tell you, I've been through this so many times. So this Jordan River was a little help for for Israel, but there's something else that was going on here. This miracle was also for another reason. So we read about this in John 4.24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so you might always fear the Lord. So this miracle for Israel was done for two reasons. One, they needed the strength and encouragement, but the other, the earth, needed to see it. And all those peoples in Canaan heard about this, and they were trembling, they were fearful. They knew about this word got out. And so he did this to all the peoples of the earth. And it spread, and it's spreading here. What, what We're talking 20 centuries later, or more than that, a lot more than that. And here we are uh, talking about this story. And this story is famous. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the Lord, the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so you might always fear the Lord. Now, I'm going to transition now. Because the new thing God's doing, I am convinced will not just be about the body of Christ, but will be about the world. The world is going to be changed as a result of this. God has allowed the world to be put on pause for nine or so months now. And who knows how long. In a place where everything's off balance. I mean, I can't remember too many times in my own lifetime where, where that has happened. Where the entire earth is, 
Maybe I, I can't remember any. I mean, I would think that World War II would be something like this, but and there's been wars and things, but where the whole world is affected and everybody's drinking sort of from the same pool and the, and, and it's uh, to this extent affecting governments and policy and travel plans and, and strategies and business and the whole thing. So I just want to say that I believe that there's two things going on here and the new thing. One is that God's people are inheriting a new thing that we're getting empowered in new ways, and there's a potential for us to go into a brand new, amazing, powerful season. But I want to say at the same time, the world is going to go into another season, and that season is going to be beneficial for them. I believe they've been softened, and both of those are connected. They're softened, and, and there's some weakness that wasn't there, and then the people of God are going to be strengthened on the other side. Now, after crossing the Jordan, the conquest of Jericho was the first great test, proving that God was with Israel. So they get through at the crossing, and now they're going to Jericho, the very first city that needs to be conquered. But before the battle, Joshua has an encounter with an angel. And in Joshua chapter 5, he's identified as the commander of the Lord's army. So can you imagine? Sometimes I think about this. wonder if I was Joshua. How would I handle it? I see an angel, or I think a person, he just looks like a man, but he identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's armies. What would you do with such a thing? I mean, wow. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, verse 13, this is Joshua 5, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. So I'm not sure what his, he looked like. He probably had some sort of thing that made Joshua suspicious. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us? Or for our enemies? Interesting question. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And he doesn't even tell him the message. <laughs> he just said, I'm the commander of the Lord's armies, right? And see, he asks, are you for us or for our enemies? He says something astounding. It would have been very encouraging for him to say, I'm for you, but he does not say that. Look what he says. Neither. Neither. Now, why did he say neither? Wasn't the whole point that God was making room for his people? Wasn't that the whole point? It's the promised land for heaven's sake. Wasn't it to bless them and prosper them? Isn't that why I got saved? I got saved, you know, because I'm going into the promise. I, there's grace there. I'm going to go to heaven and all the other blessings that come. And isn't this why 40 years they've been building up to this? And here's the commander of the Lord's armies, and, and, he, and Joshua knows he's got to fight, and the guy says, neither. I'm not for either one of you, per se. Why do you say that? You see, the thing is, God used the grace toward Israel to make a bigger statement to the whole room, to the whole world. We go back to Joshua chapter 4, verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. So what am I getting here? Here it is. God is for the whole world. And he's using our lives to reveal himself to the whole world. So right now, in this time that we're at, people are watching us to see how we'll respond to the current crisis. Our peace, our kindness, our generosity, because everyone right now is looking for answers. And for those of you who have been witnessing or sharing with people or even know they, they know you're a believer, they are watching because they're watching everywhere. And if you've said things to them in the past about your value system, and maybe they saw something on TV or whatever, uh, you see, I, I think what's going on is this whole world is transitioning into a new thing, and we're a part of it. And so our behavior right now is extremely important, extremely important. It's incredibly important. And I, I believe, and I'm just praying for our own church, that we succeed wildly that the people were touching, you know, and I've just made sure that we stayed in an aggressive place. I can't imagine the church at this time when the whole world is transitioning for us to go and hide somewhere. I can't imagine just to put the whole thing on hold, oh, time out, you know. <clears throat> wow, it's dangerous out there. Oh, man, we are the solution. We are the reason this thing will lift 
It is our prayers that are warring against this thing. God doesn't make people sick. sick. Satan does. It's, some, it's not some cosmic bad joke by God. It's, it's actual warfare and attack on the whole human race. And what do we do during that time? The people of God are called to resist. They're called to be the light and the salt of the earth. And this world, God knows, needs light. So God is for the world. He says, I'm not for either one of you. I'm for the whole world. I'm for everybody. Listen, what you're doing right now, the whole world, I'm introducing my kingdom. I am introducing God to this region. That's what's happening. And the whole region began to know about the God of Israel. And it began to spread to the other nations. And the problem with Israel is they maligned his name. They did good at a certain time when they're coming into the promised land. But over time, one of the greatest tragedies of the whole thing, why God had to judge them, is they maligned his name to the whole uh, Middle East. They maligned his name. They were supposed to be actually uh, representatives. They were actually supposed to show the world and bring redemption to the world, which they later did through Jesus Christ. But they were supposed to do it way earlier than that. So could I say to us that actually God's for the whole earth. He's for us, but we have to make sure we understand during this time it's not just us cocooned and God hiding us in the hollow of his hand. I mean, he's doing all of that. But his redemptive purposes are for the whole earth. That's why the captain of the Lord's army says, you know what? Uh, he said, are you with us or with, with them? He says, neither. I'm for the Lord's cause. I'm for God. Which, by the way, not only includes you, but it includes the whole earth, right? Even after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples were still thinking of their own glory and the glory of Israel. Now, why am I mentioning that now? Because to me, it's a good example Man, these guys had a ride with God. Can you imagine being with Jesus day by day? And then he's crucified, and then he resurrects from the dead. Wow, what a big deal, right? But interesting stuff, they, the disciples, even though Jesus kept telling them, look, all this time I've been with you, all the people and things I've taught, people you've seen, the miracles and, and all that I've taught you, this is for something else. This is for more. You know, and they were so enamored, and I would have been too. I mean, it's not every day you see people raised from the dead. It's not every day a transfiguration happens and you hear the voice of God. It's not every day you see demons cast out. It's not every day that uh, someone can walk on water and multiply food. I mean, the whole thing's uh, pretty cool, right? So Jesus resurrects from the dead, and he appears to them over a time of 40 days. And then he says something to them, which is really powerful. Because they're still kind of going, wow, Jesus is showing up. And they still are in the mind frame, really, of, wow, this is all about us. And now Israel is going to come. And they're wondering about their own position. What's going to happen now? Is it now that Israel is going to ascend to this mighty place? Right? They thought a transition was coming. And that transition was not only the transition of Israel, but actually they're thinking bigger than that. Like I'm saying, there's a new thing happening here. And with good reason, Jesus had talked about it. Hey, look, what's going to happen is that we're going to be put in as a nation, you know, and we're going to be maybe generals or executives or people in this, this whole government with Jesus at the head. And because he's God, all the nations are going to submit to us. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem. So that's kind of the place they're in, even with all this supernatural activity going on. And so I want to read these verses. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the date, times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, they're probably angels, stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now that, that little line there caught me. 
I was thinking about transitions and the new thing and how the disciples were going through it. But he says, hey guys, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, could I just translate that into our terms? Let's not stare at the sky wondering what in the world is going on. We should be a little more aware of what God's doing than walking around the wilderness thinking, wow, what in the world's going on? And you know, it's charismatics. We brag about, you know, I don't say brag, maybe it's a little strong word, but I don't know. We're pretty excited about uh, praying for the sick and, and, uh, and all these miracles and hearing God's voice and everything. And the thing is, we need to stay excited and stay engaged and plugged into the world. We can't stare up in the sky and say, man, I just wonder, God, when this is going to be over. I can't wait. Can't wait till you bring an end to this thing. Could I just submit to you that perhaps we're a part of bringing an end to this thing? I can't imagine God doing that without us. So we don't want to be staring at the sky. We want to do you doing these things. We want to you receive power. You be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We got to keep that going. God, that's what we do. That's our job. And as we do that job, God will transition us out, but I just can't imagine us all putting everything on hold, just staring in the sky and hoping, you know, that this ends somehow and it's not up to us so that we don't have any role in this. This is really dangerous. The church has to stay awake. We have to look for the new thing. There's a new thing that God wants to do with us, and there's a new thing that God wants to do in the world. And I'm convinced it's going to be the greatest thing we've ever seen. I'm convinced if God took all this time to get us to this place where the whole world's been shut down or been attacked, where there must be something on the other side of us that we haven't seen yet. But in this place that we're in, let me tell you this, people are watching us. They're watching the church. They're watching what we say because they're looking for answers. And people will remember your kindness, your confidence, and the miracles that God does through, you, through this crisis. They'll look at it, and they'll watch you till this crisis is over. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. That's Hebrews chapter 10. I really like it. Don't throw away your confidence. This is the time for the church to have confidence. It's a time for us to move forward. It's a time to be salt and light. It's a time for us to be engaged. Now you have to do it with wisdom. And I'm not saying be careless at all. But you know, if I'm going to throw the coin up, heads or tails, I'll tell you what, I'm going to choose heads all the time. And for me, heads is, let's meet as often and as able as able we are. Because if I didn't believe the church had anything to offer or any way we could change, then I'd stop meeting. But I'll tell you what, the most essential business on the whole planet, and I think most of the church doesn't know it, but I know it, is a, a church coming together to pray and ask God to remove this. Because this is a supernatural event. It's a cosmic event. And we just can't be waiting around for it to be removed. It's time for the church to take their place. We can't throw away our confidence and the ability God has given us to change our environment. That's who we are. It'll be richly rewarded. It's just going to be a step of faith. And it's going to take risk, just like I said at the beginning. When you want to go into the promised land, it will take risk. Any promise that you want will take risk. If you want to change the world, it's going to take risk. But let me just tell you that the possibilities for changing the world are greater now than ever before because the whole world's been thrown off balance. And while they're off balance, oh my gosh, what a time. One thing I've been especially pleased about and grateful for is that God allowed us to plant the warehouse. Uh, This Mercy Warehouse, for you that are watching, don't know about that. We have this warehouse where we feed people and house the homeless and so on and the pro- they come from this giant thrift store we've created and the proceeds from that are putting people in hotels and putting feeding people and doing all kinds of things and cars and all kinds of things all kinds of benevolence but what it's done is it's kept us engaged and it's just been some of the most wonderful things even with regard to our feeding we've done and everything we haven't stopped one time we have continued and the funny thing is, it qualified us, that action of feeding people and taking care of them and housing them in hotels and paying for their this and that and their medical treatment and their cars and helping them with this. All of that has qualified, even in the eyes of the government, as an essential business. I just think all the churches need to be doing that. I felt like a long time ago, well, this is essential business. This is what the church does. If, some, if we don't reach the poor and the weak like Jesus did, who, who then are we? 
And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that I just couldn't exist in the church like that. I, I've spent a long time overseas and seeing the poor and the broken of the world. And I just didn't want to be at home and not have any of that activity. But this particular time, it so flows with the heart of God because it's kept us engaged, kept us praying for people, ministering people's needs. We didn't take a vacation, you know, and just kind of hibernate for a while and hope to God somehow this lives. Oh my gosh, how terrible that is. We just can't be that way. We can't do that. We can't do that. There is a rhythm to faith, by the way. And so when you step into and are successful with ministry, God brings more and brings more and brings more. And I, I just want that. Uh, I want us to be at full bore. Even when we open, I want to be full bore, fully engaged with the culture before we even open up formally again. Uh, we are open. I mean, we have every Sunday morning we're out there. And I think in a few weeks we're going to be in here and we're going to go back to our normal schedule. I just think that's kind of where we're at. I'm saying that from an informed place, by the way. I'm just going, ah, what do we think we should do now? I've been praying about this. And I just feel, yeah, it'll take risk, but I just think it's worth it. If I am who I say I am, and if God is doing a new thing on the earth, I want to be right smack in the middle of it. Matter of fact, I want to be more than that. I want to prompt it. When Israel went in the promised land, they entered through something new. God invaded that area of the world because God's people came. And God began to reveal His truth. And any person around of the surrounding tribes or areas, they could get to know God. They could Actually, there was provision for them to get to know God. They could even convert to Judaism. But the most important thing is, in all the history of the world, God had not showed Himself that plainly. And they were making God plain. There's a place where He worships. There's a place that He does. There's a law to follow. And you don't have to stumble around in your, in your uh, wildest imaginations or in your foolishness or idolatry. What God did to that region of the world, He did them a favor. And He did it on the back of the Israelis. They did it on the back of the Jews as they came into the land. And they could have just submitted, and some did, most fought. But even in submission, even working in subservience, because of the blessing of God in the land and around, I just don't know about you, but even being around that, instead of the paganism and the false religion and the demonic entities they were a part of, it was a deal for them to welcome Israel in. They didn't know it. They thought they were just going to be conquered or whatever, but some weren't conquered. Some surrendered. Some melded in with the people, and it was good for them, right? It was good. Don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. And so thing is, there's a beautiful description of what kind of business I think we should be about right now. It's just a real good summary. It's what Jesus told the disciples to do and what's part of our heritage as well. And I just love this because it's a nice little summary. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. I mean, isn't it interesting? He speaks so casually about it to them. Okay, guys, go on out there. Now, can you imagine their first hearing this? He's sending them out. Maybe some of you feel like that as I'm talking about being sent out and doing ministry and, and working uh, with the poor, the weak, working with people. Maybe to you, these words that I'm going to say uh, sound as alien. The words I've been saying are as alien. But look what he says to these guys. <laughs> here they are. You can just see them all kind of lined up. Okay, guys, here you go. Now, I want you to go out. You, you proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Well, we don't even know much about the kingdom. Well, here's, here's what you do. And after you do that, you'll have plenty to talk about. Heal the sick. And by the way, if you see a dead person, you might want to raise him to life. Uh, cleanse those who have leprosy. You know, that horrible dread disease that everybody's trying to get away from, you know. Uh, why don't you just heal those people? Hmm, leprosy. Hmm, COVID-19. Hmm. Is there a connection there between the people of God and the healing of God? Could, could that be? Leprosy, you didn't want to get close to them. You don't want to breathe on them. You want to get close. You can catch it, right? He's saying, oh, I want you to get close enough to heal these guys, right? Drive out demons. Oh, Really? Yeah, demons will submit to you. Freely you've received, freely give. Well, I don't feel like I received anything. Oh, man. And that's the place we don't want to be. You have received something. We all have as believers. It's our inheritance. So we need to be freely about the world, giving and receiving. Giving these people and receiving back from the Lord. Giving these things. Here it is. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. People are watching us during this time. God is revealing Himself. The reason why I know is because everything's off balance. I tell you, there's nothing that keeps God out of a region or an area more than the 
drudgery of life, the everydayness of life. And that's all been ruined. The drudgery of life, the busyness of life, the, the busyness of money and investment and moving around and all of that. We're off cycle, so that means everything's off balance, so that means it's a perfect time. And people are sick, people aren't doing well. People can't get normal access to hospitals, so heal the sick, raise the dead, this is our job. Now, interesting thing, as we just think about this crisis, I think it's just so important. The crisis is worldwide, but I believe God's about to give a worldwide response. He already is, actually. And as the church wakes up from getting stunned by this virus and all the things and all the, uh, the crazy things that government's doing and all the environment, I mean, I think some of the people, it's like, like the church, along with all the people, where we've been hit with a stun gun somehow. But I think the church is now waking up. I'm hoping, I tell you, I'm doing everything in my power to keep our church fully awake. By God's grace, we'll be back in this room in a couple of weeks. You know, thankfully, it's been nice weather, right? So Sunday mornings, come and see us, right? Come be with us. Come be with people. Come contend with us. We're not just having church. We're not just going to church, you know? Like we're an animal at the zoo and I got to go to my right cage at a certain hour of the day. No, I, I am changing my world just by being there. God said when two or three gather together, there I am in their midst. That makes church an event. It makes it something special. It's not just a, an appointment that I keep like with a movie theater or a restaurant. It is when I go there with other believers, the Spirit of God comes. That's who I am. And we do business. We bind and loose. If two or three gather together and they pray, I bind and loose from that space. We declare, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy rule be done. We move around angels and, and demonic forces. That's the business that happens with the church. Talking about being essential, that's what we do. So if you can imagine, if we've got a worldwide crisis, I believe God's church is going to be right in the thick of it, and God will cause a worldwide response. Here's another reason why I think that is. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And so, uh, very simply, if we look at those verses, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that may he lift you, may he lift you up in due season. And uh, before that, in the verse before, First Peter 5, 5, it says, God gives grace to the humble. So I, I think that we qualify. Don't you guys think that? I mean, I think we qualify. I think we've been humbled. I think the whole earth has been humbled, right? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Can you see how powerful that is? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. The whole world's been humbled. Our sports programs, our uh, whatever, I mean, there's a, a huge dose of humility. Well, if the world's getting humbler, and perhaps the church is too, wow, favor can't be too far. So that's why he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Because humility comes, after humility comes a lifting up. So that's why I'm saying that there's something going on here. There's, there's something that's happening right now. The crisis is worldwide, but God's responses also will be re re worldwide. And I believe what it really translates into, because of the shaking and the trembling, and, and uh, if the church wakes up and we begin to be the church and we do these things that God shows us to do and we just continue, we don't check out, we don't unplug, we pray for the sick, we raise the dead, we cast out demons, we preach the eternal gospel, we continue out as a force in the earth, we're housing the homeless. If we just continue that, I tell you what, lots of people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Where the world's ultimately headed, where the end times really become the end times, is in Matthew 24, 14. He was saying in the context of Israel, but it's a broader context as well. I believe that this thing is being played out over and over again. This is the last thing I'll say about the new thing. The new thing I'm looking for is in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom we preach in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I just think what the enemy meant for evil is going to turn to a way, a, 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 a way exaggerated, amazing uh, time of evangelism and church growth. Already was happening before COVID-19. I believe it's going to be like a slingshot. I believe we got paused for a moment and it's just going to fling thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands and to Christ, hundreds of thousands in areas of the world that have never even been touched. It's already was happening. It already is happening before COVID. And I believe it's happening at an even more rapid pace. 
This world, is un- this, this world has been unsettled by all of this. And I just think the only thing worse than persecution uh, for believers or for uh, areas of the world not to know the Lord is um, the mundane, the ordinary, uh, being lukewarm. And the world can't be lukewarm right now. And the church can't be lukewarm. So if we just continue on, I believe we're going to see a new thing. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testament to all the nations, then the end will come. Could I just say something really specific to you that's been so on my mind? Please don't underestimate the effect of this on your relatives and friends, people you know that aren't saved. Please. They are more open than they ever. They may feel harder, maybe feel, you know, whatever it is, you know. Uh, you know, it's so funny, I, going back to this verse, you know, um, Joshua says, well, whose side are you on? And he says, neither. <laughs> neither. And that verse 24, 24, he did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, so that you might always fear the Lord. So the, this revelation that's going on as we begin to move into these miracles and things, what happens is it's so that the people of the, of the world will know that the Lord is powerful, that he know, know that he's real. So he's saying, you know, I'm a Jew, and these are general. Are you with me or not? And he says, neither. Sort of like, maybe we should ask that question. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? You know what Jesus' answer would be? Neither. <laughs> I go beyond all of it. I own all of it. And I'm going to claim all of it. I don't care how divided you are. I don't care how separated. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to bring a new unity. I'm going to bring a new grace. I'm going to let the church be salt. I'm giving her a head start. I'm preparing the soil. The soil is going to be ripe for harvest. A new thing has happened. I'm going to let the world, the church be the light of the world. That's what's being offered to us. So God, I pray for this new thing. I pray that we wouldn't be dulled by the disappointment and the confusion of the time. I pray, God, we would not be lackadaisical or even lukewarm. I pray you would put us on fire. I pray we would take advantage of every opportunity. I pray you would bring this new thing out. I pray you would make the church more powerful than she's ever been, more engaging than she's ever been. All around the earth, in every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I pray millions upon millions of people will come to faith. And I pray what the enemy meant for evil, Lord, you would turn to good. What the enemy meant for evil, we pray, Lord, you would turn to good. I pray, God, you would not let any of us get lukewarm, any of us hide. Anyone, just let this thing blow over. This is not the kind of thing that blows over. It's so demonic. The saints need to pray this thing, and they need to do it together, and they need to rise up and do the things that God does. So, Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. And I pray for all the people in our church and all the people that are listening to this. I pray more for you, not less. I pray you would make more money. I pray you'd find a better job. And all this stirring... I pray that you get closer to Jesus. I pray relatives that you don't even know get saved. And those you do know that have been hardened, I pray there will be a softness. I pray whole families will come together. I declare a new thing and a new season in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you soon.